We're reading from John 13, 12 to 17, and 34 to 35. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we continue our series in the law of Jesus today, we're looking at how to serve our neighbor as ourself. As you remember, as Jesus described the great commandment, the idea that we would love God with our whole heart, soul, and mind and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself, is really the distillation of what the law points us to. So we're calling this the law of Jesus because his summary of what it means to be his follower means that we would love our neighbor in the same way that he has. This challenge to love our neighbor as ourself has never been at a more confusing and also at a more pressing time than it is right now. I imagine for a lot of you, you felt a big weight on you over the last few months of maybe you've wanted to be helpful to your neighbor, maybe you've wanted to serve and, and to love others as Christ loves them, but it's so confusing of how to do that in a time of COVID. I also wonder if some of you have felt a weight and a burden of loving others. Maybe some of the stuff you've heard in the news or stuff that has been pressed on your shoulders has just bred resentment in you of, why should I have to care so much about what happens to other people around me? Well, wherever you're coming from this morning, I hope that as we look at Jesus' example here in John 13 about how and why he loved the disciples, It'll give us a picture of what it means to imitate him as we love and serve our neighbors as well. The sermon today is, I hope, relatively simple and just those two points. Why and how Jesus served the disciples and why and how, in a similar way, we're called to serve one another. So let's get to the passage today together in John chapter 13. We find in John 13 that Jesus has come to the moment has come up to the moment where he is going to be betrayed and go to the cross. And on the precipice of that moment, Jesus decides this is a time to show his disciples what it truly means that he has come to serve and to give his life for the benefit of others. So look at John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that phrase. He loved them to the end. Or he loved them to the fullness. Or he loved them to the most full expression of what love could look like. Man, wouldn't that be what you would want said at your 50th wedding anniversary? That you loved one another to the fullness, to completion, to the end. 
Or wouldn't you want that to set about you as a friend? That you loved your friends to the end? Or wouldn't you want that set about you as a parent or a grandparent? That you loved till there was none left? That's how Jesus loved the disciples and ultimately how he'll call us to be lovers of one another. And the way that Jesus loved his disciples to the end is that he chose to wash their feet. I know that seems like kind of a non sequitur. It seems out of nowhere, especially if you're not familiar with this passage. But let me give you a little context. In the ancient world that Jesus was a part of, um, people wore sandals. They didn't have, obviously, covered toed shoes for the most part. And especially people of the working class, like Jesus' disciples and, and Jesus himself, would spend hours walking on dirty roads. And when I say dirty roads, I don't just mean uh, paved paths with a little bit of dirt on them. I mean roads that had animal excrement on them and roads that had mud on them and pathways that had all the germs and bacteria that we would expect to find on pathways in ancient and so when they would come into a home, there would be usually a, a bucket of water by the door. And whoever was the lowest slave, or the lowest servant, or the person with the least station in the household, was responsible to wipe off the grossest things you've ever seen from the toes of his guests or her guests. Well, apparently, as Jesus and his disciples have come into this room, there was no one either available or willing to do such a menial task. And so they've sat down for dinner, and apparently the disciples have either forgotten about this responsibility or decided that it was beneath them. Because they continue, the passage says, all the way through supper, leaving their feet caked with the mud of this world. I've wondered, this isn't in the passage, but I've wondered sometime if one of the disciples thought, man, what terrible service in this place. Someone should do something. Whose responsibility is it to take care of this? Who's going to wash my feet? Without, without ever thinking that maybe this is their responsibility, at least to wash Jesus' feet. But taking this beautiful and opportune time to show what it truly means to love and to serve, Jesus gets up from the table, puts on, takes off his outer garments, and instead lowers himself to a place of being able to wash his disciples' feet. Jesus' understanding of himself enables him to lower himself to this point of a servant. Look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking, it, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wash them and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I love that John starts with this description of why Jesus has the inner fortitude to take on this task of service. Did you hear that in verse 3? Where it says that Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. He knew that he had come from God, that he was going back to God. And because Jesus knew these amazing, elevated, worshipful things about his past, present, and future, he is able to go to the lowest point of humility. Now, contrast this with some of the most stubborn people that you know, or, or maybe if we're honest, some of the more stubborn moments of your life. 
How many of those stubborn, self-righteous, self-important acts of defiance where you've been unwilling to compromise, unwilling to apologize, unwilling to take the low, unwilling to take the high road and insisting on getting a pound of flesh from your opponent? How many of those moments were marked with insecurity? How many of those moments were marked with ungratitude? How many of those moments were marked by a deep resentment that you haven't gotten what you feel like you deserve? Jesus is the exact opposite. Because Jesus knows how high he is, he is willing to go to the lowest place of service. For you and for I, if we are insisting in a self-righteous way that people know us and recognize us and see us and give us credit, it's because at a core level we don't realize what God has already declared about us. And because of that, we're going to become brittle and unflexible and unwilling to lower ourselves to a place of serving one another. This is going to show up in how you exist as a spouse, how you exist as a parent, how you live as a friend, how you exist as a neighbor or a boss or a coworker or a neighbor. If you're unaware of the hope that you have as a Christian for your eternity with God, and you're unaware of what God decrees about you now, and you're unaware of what God has brought you out of and into in life in Christ, you become the insecure person who insists on being served rather than following in the footsteps of Jesus and being able to serve another. Jesus knows that the Father has put all things in his hands. He knows where he's come from and where he's going. And because of that, he's able to endure what's to come. You know, if Jesus' only goal was to live in the present moment, if his goal was to be thought of as a good friend, Judas's betrayal was going to crush him. If his only goal was to be thought of as the Messiah of Israel, the rejection by those religious leaders would have destroyed him. If his only hope was in this life, that his disciples would stay with him, their abandonment would crush his soul. And yet Jesus knows that where he has come from is from God. His hope is to return to God. He knows that the Father has put all things into his hand. And because of that, he is able to serve rather than be served. I wonder, how would you describe yourself on that continuum? Do you insist on being served? Or are you able to serve? Are you someone who insists on your own way? Or are you someone who is able to go to the place of even washing the feet of the people who should wash your feet? Are you known in your family or in your company or in your neighborhood as someone who is quick to give up their preferences? Or someone who is always insisting that people do things your way? When Jesus is described in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, 1, he's described as the very logos of God, the very word of God, the one who was with God at the beginning, the one from whom all things were created, that nothing was created that was not made through him. John is the one who describes Jesus. Of all the four Gospels, he is the one who describes him as the only begotten Son of God in John 3.16. John is the one who uses the I am statements to describe Jesus' mission. He, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. 
I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and life. John, of all the four Gospels, is the only one to quote Jesus as saying, I and the Father are one. John of the four Gospels is the one, we might say, with the, the highest view of Jesus. The one who is the most explicit about Jesus' divine identity as the Son of God. Now, let me, let me be quick to say, all four Gospels talk about Jesus as the Son of God. All four Gospels talk about him as divine. I'm not trying to rip on Matthew, Mark, and Luke at all. I'm just trying to point out that John has the highest view and the highest goal of showing us Jesus' divine identity, purpose, and mission. And that's why I think it's so beautiful that John is the only one who records this scene about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Because it's not like a, a window that has to go up and down, as if Jesus can, can only be high in his identity as a divine son of God. John also said, no, he's also high in service. That he is high in his willingness to take on the lowest tasks for the benefit of others. Because the more Jesus is exalted, the more we see how his exaltation comes to a place of service for our benefit. Now, that's very different than how we experience human authority in our lives on a normal day-to-day -day basis. Usually, the more elevated someone is, the less helpful we perceive them as being to others. Which may be why we're so excited when celebrities are willing to just send out a social media tweet endorsing a good cause, because the fact that someone famous did something nice for someone is kind of surprising for us. And yet, Jesus is not just virtue signaling. Jesus is actually going to the point of service to the lowest place for the benefit of his disciples. As one theologian said, Jesus is the God who kneels. Jesus is the God who kneels. The one who is willing to go to the lowest place is the one who knows that he is heading to the highest place. Now, if, if we just stopped here, this would be a really strong admonition that we similarly should be humble as Jesus is humble. But as we'll see in the next part of the passage, this isn't just about feet. Because the next part of the passage, we see that this is, not, this is not only an event in time, it's also a parable about the cross. Here's what I mean by a parable. The act of foot washing is a representation of this broader spiritual truth. The fact that Jesus washes the disciples' feet is not just a good example of how Jesus is a humble leader, but it's also an example of the idea that Jesus cleanses us from our sin. Well, here's how it plays out. Jesus gets through some of the disciples. He washes their feet. Eventually, he gets to Simon Peter. And as Peter so often does in the Gospels, he objects in a bold and proud way to something that would be for his benefit. Because Peter is sort of the patron saint of the modern American church, where we are quick to yell about things we don't understand. And, and Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. And this is not in the passage, but I imagine Jesus said to him at this point, Peter, do you really think this is just about feet? Do you really think this is just about feet, Peter? After all, what Jesus says to him is, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but soon you will. Jesus is predicting, once the cross has happened, you'll understand, Peter, that you thought it was disgusting that your Lord would humble himself 
to the point of washing your feet? How disgusting will you think it is that your Lord will humble himself to go to the place of the cross for your benefit? You thought it was unthinkable, Peter, that your Lord would be willing to get his hands dirty washing your feet. How unthinkable is it that your Lord will get his hands pierced for your sin? You thought it was unimaginable that I would be willing to be a slave and take on the form of a slave for you. How unimaginable is it that I will go to death for what you have done in offense to God? Peter is sort of the foil for all of us in this moment, because all of us don't fully appreciate what it means that Jesus is willing to take on our sin for himself. And yet, like Peter, we also are so desperately in need of it. And when Peter realizes what's happening, he says, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You, you've been clean. You've been made new in Christ. It's not that you need a whole bath. It's just that there's a continual need for cleansing for all of us. It's an important moment of of invitation for all of us as Christians. It's part of why we practice foot washing a couple times a year as a local church. It's not just because Jesus tells us to do it. We'll get to that in a little bit. But it's also because we need to be reminded afresh of the gospel. We need to be reminded that all of us, when we come to Christ, continually need to be reminded of the gospel over the course of our life. We don't need to be rebaptized. We don't need to be totally washed new. But we do walk in the ways of the world. We walk and we get our feet dirty, metaphorically speaking. And we need to be washed afresh and be reminded of the gospel week after week, day after day, year after year. Well, it's amazing what Jesus is willing to do. It's amazing what Jesus does in this passage. And it would be enough to just say, let's worship him and thank him for that. But Jesus wants to make explicit that his example is for our benefit, not just in what he's done for us, but what he invites us to imitate him in light of. So look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. In the second part of the sermon, I just want to be really clear that we are called to live in the example of Jesus. Even as amazing and transformative as Jesus' willingness to sacrifice himself is on the cross, so in the same way we are called to be many examples as we serve one another. Now, of course, we can never lower ourselves to that place. We can never accomplish something of such profound cosmological, spiritual significance. But Jesus makes clear that his example of washing our feet, and much more importantly, his example of going to the cross, are to be the paradigm that his followers are to live by. That in the same way that he was willing to give up himself for the benefit of others, the people who bear his name should be willing to give up their preferences, their ambitions, their selfishness for the benefit of their brothers and sisters and the benefit of the world. 
Jesus makes clear at the end of this chapter, at the end of chapter 13, he says, and the world will know that you are my disciples when you do this, when you love one another in the same way that I have loved you. You and I are called to carry on his example and his mission, and in so doing, exalt and demonstrate his name. Well, how do we do that? <laughs> I mean, how do we follow Jesus' example in like a, a practical way? I mean, Paul says in Galatians 6.1 that we're to bear one another's burdens, and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. How do we do that? How do we follow his example? How do we bear one another's burdens? What are some ways that you could practically work on that this week? Well, that's what I want to spend the last couple minutes of this sermon on. And, and I want to do it by looking at Jesus' example in this passage one more time. So this might sound a little bit like deja vu, but I, I just want to run through the passage again quickly as we look at Jesus' example and think about how you and I could live out that same sort of life this week. Well, first thing, if we're going to live in Jesus' example, we have to share his sense of identity. Right? Remember at the beginning of chapter 13, where the roots of Jesus' example are his understanding of who he is, the fact that he had come from God, that he was going to God, that God had put all things in his hand. That, that was the, the soil out of which his service to others grew. You and I can follow his example by sharing his sense of identity. If you are in Christ, you have the same hope that he had, that you are on your way to return to God. That while well, you and I weren't existing from eternity past like Jesus was, in Christ, we have the hope that we will spend eternity future with God. And that is the soil out of which our service to each other comes. And that's actually really important on a practical level. It means that there's nothing that can threaten that. In the words of Romans 8, it means that neither heights nor depths nor anything can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It means that if I serve you and you win, if I sacrifice and you benefit, if I give up ground that you then get, it doesn't threaten anything about my future in an ultimate sense. If I, if I give up ground in today's political environment, it's such a zero-sum game. But if I give up ground in the kingdom of God, it's fine because I have all of heaven in front of me. So, if you want to follow Jesus' example, you want to serve your neighbor, you have to begin with Jesus' sense of identity. You have to know that nothing you give up in this life will be a loss in the kingdom to come. As Jesus says elsewhere, no one who has given up fields or families or wealth in this life will not be repaid a hundredfold in the kingdom that is to come. If you're going to have Jesus' sense of identity, you need to have his sense of in the future. Second thing, you need to share Jesus' sense of mission. You share Jesus' sense of mission. In verse 16, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Let's be honest. Part of why we're not willing to serve and to benefit others at the cost of ourselves is because we think that we, our name is the mission. Our reputation, what we can gather for ourselves, is the mission. And this passage reminds us that the mission is to make much of Jesus. That we can never, if we're going to be his follower, we can never pass him. We can never say that we're above him. That we're above something 
that he wasn't alone. Third thing, we need to share Jesus' definition of what it means to be a servant leader. If your expectation is that by following Jesus, we'll get to be in charge, that we'll get to win, that we'll get to be in control, that we're going to have hegemony in this life, then we're following the wrong person. After all, Jesus is the one who is humiliated, who is rejected, who lost all forms of human approval. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised when those same sorts of fates meet us. But remember, he did that knowing that all those small things in this world paled into comparison to what God said about it, and the hope that he had with God forever. And in that, we share in his blessing. That's the fourth thing. We share in the blessing that Jesus offers. In verse 17, it says, If you know these things, blessed are if you do them. If you know these things, and you do know these, right? Like, there's nothing, I imagine, there's nothing in the sermon I've said that's not just a reminder to you. You want to be, if you're a Christian, I imagine on some level, you want to be servant-hearted towards others. You want to be someone who uh, is willing to follow Jesus' example, even if it means not making much of yourself. But this verse is really the line in the sand in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Are you doing them? Are you actually putting the needs and preferences of other people in front of your own? Or is your life the story of you? Of you getting control, you getting recognition, and you having people think much of you? Or are you willing to serve for the benefit of others? Well, I'm grateful that as a church we practice foot washing, that we practice in a literal sense what this passage describes. I think it's a beautiful and awkward reminder that we are called to serve one another. As one theologian said, thank God that it is awkward. If it wasn't awkward, the whole metaphor would be lost. It's supposed to be awkward. But goodness, if we just wash feet literally a couple times a year, then we have missed this point. Right? If, if it's only a physical act and not an act of the conscience, not a continual daily act of the will in your marriage and with your kids and with your neighbors and with your enemies, and with people that you wouldn't want to spend any time with if it wasn't for Christ? If we don't live it out on a daily basis, then our physical act of foot washing is hypocrisy. I just want to close with a passage from 1 Peter that has meant a lot to me over these last few months. And uh, it's one I brought up with our staff and our elders a number of times. Because I think it really frames the choice you and I have, especially during these times of COVID, and these times of, of racial injustice conversations and this election season and all the reasons that we have for so much anxiety. Will we insist on our own way or will we practice the way of Jesus? In 1 Peter 3, 8, it says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That's my prayer for you. That in the example of Jesus, and in the way of Jesus, in the light of the cross of Jesus, you would model what Jesus is like in the way that you are humble towards one another, servant-hearted towards one another, and willing to take on the benefits of others rather than yourself. Let me pray for us as we close. Jesus, thank you for your example. 
and washing the disciples' feet. Thank you for the way that you modeled humility in this parable for them to see and for us to see. It is such a convicting example for me. I am so quick to assume that other people should serve me instead of vice versa. I'm so quick to assume that uh, when other people embarrass me or when my kids make life difficult or when I have frustrations with people around me, that I should get my way. Thank you for the example you give of how we're to serve one another. But Jesus, thank you so much more that it wasn't just an example, but that it was the cross itself. That you served us not just in washing 12 men's feet, but to the point of going to the cross for our sin. That you have made us clean. May we in turn live as clean people in how we serve one another. In Jesus' name we pray.